Sonic States. Hello everybody, welcome to Sonic Talk number 226, finally here, sorry about the delay, it's always a bit problematic when we've got uh, multidisciplinary um, communications going on, I've got someone in the studio, I've got someone on the phone, we've got uh, down, the, down the wires and uh, my incompetence generally in added that to the mix and it all becomes a bit messy. So thanks for hanging in there and welcome, Sonic Talk number 226, uh, recording today, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday the 20th of July, uh, will be live uh, on all good uh, recorded formats mp3 itunes and stuff on thursday the 21st of july of, of course we've got the live chat room which uh, you will no doubt be aware of at this point in time uh, where we have a live video stream and a chat room and um, people participate from all corners of the earth including new zealand but let me just join um let me introduce a few people first of all uh, i've got in the studio with me there's dave spears right there you can see his face hello g4 software with the lovely backdrop of the jupiter 6 and the Wurlitzer in the background from last week that oh. pj was uh, involved in have i got pj as well yes i have got pj few that's pj was sat in that very space last week can you believe it yeah and played piano better than me <laughs> G4software.com, makers of fine software instruments and amongst other things. Uh, um, back to me, where I can say hello there. And uh, also, we've got uh, in the chat room, we have a number of participants. Uh, not much video action um, in the currently selected thing, but we will say hello to PJ Tracy, who is now back safely at home. PJ Tracy Sound.com, is that right, PJ? That's correct. Good afternoon. Good uh, morning, good middle of the night to Kiwi Steve. Yes. So did you get the horrible cold on the way that, that it seems to happen whenever you fly to the States in a, in a, croup, a, a, a plane? I did do. Oh. I came home and after not having slept much in the UK at all because my body didn't seem to adjust to the time zone there, I slept for 17 hours. Nice. And now I feel right as rain. We'll have to take your word Nick, for it. Nick, can yes. I just ask, how else, how else would he fly to the States? Well, I mean, you know, di disease-free, I'm thinking, would be a nice oh, so way to fly. You said he's flying, flying in a plane. I'm just wondering if you've got some other sort of transport flying to the States that you know of. Astral projection. Use. Ballooning. <laughs> rocket ship. All right, smart, Alec. Dave Robinson. That's Dave Robinson. I've done three out of four of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I reckon I've done the fourth. <laughs> Dave Robinson there, okay. chipping in oh, from, from the phone line. Dave Robinson, of course, pro editor of ProSound News Europe. Um, soon, in a, in a state of flux, I believe, judging by the tone of your voice. <laughs> I'm always in a state of flux, mate. Um, yes, we, we've been acquired by Intent Media, uh, another uh, publishing company, a smaller publishing company, and we are... Uh, moving from these offices, I'm currently sat looking down at the Thames and the boats going up and down uh, the Thames, and uh, uh, it'd be anything else other than boats, perhaps. Um, <laughs> yes, but um, um, yeah, we're moving in two weeks. So two weeks, I might be able to access to Skype and all the kind of things that are prohibited when you're working for a large corporation. So um, whereabouts are you moving to? Are you moving to somewhere lo lovely? We're moving you... to Islington, actually. We're going to be uh, just around the corner from Angel Studios and around the corner from the Academy and uh, Britannia Row, the, uh, where the original studios were, Pink Floyd Studios. So, uh, yeah, a very funky part of town. Um, not good if you want to save money and not go out every evening eating and drinking. Let's put it that way. Oh, I feel, for, I feel for you. Well, no doubt you're getting an enormous pay increase as part of your share options on the acquisition well, of the company. Well, you know what? We've, well, it's best we don't go into no, the... No, perhaps not. Um, no. 
but, nice. but we're not. <laughs> you can you can rest assured of that. <laughs> but you might get Skype, so you know swings and roundabouts. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Which is a free service. Um, anyway, well, thank you very much for joining us. ProSoundNewsEurope.com editor. Um, ep- episodes online as we speak, I'd imagine. And we'll also go over to, let's say, Gaz Williams, who's got a lovely um, red backdrop there. We missed you, Gaz. We thought you might be calling in from a ferry last week because um, we oh, know I you d- went to France. Yeah, I did. I tried, uh, but the reception no, just was, didn't work. There's no 3G signal, is there? Actually, look, no. you look like you might be in a tent this week. <laughs> yeah no i mean as i explained earlier i, I wanted to give you a backdrop of my lovely garden but it's too bright the backlight is a little bit disabling yes that's true yeah so, um gaz of course uh songsurgeon.co.uk uh extensive experience in uh surgery on songs and uh, <laughs> uh mastering and playing and all of those sort of things anyway welcome Thank you. Um, I had a really good time in France, by the way. We did, uh, myself and a musician called Chris Powell, did a, a series of gigs around Normandy doing uh, pure improvised music. Um, it was really good fun uh, asking the audience for um, a little bit like we did with the five minute song, you know, asking people for subject material and then making up songs on the spot and, um, in English. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how's your French? <laughs> yeah, anyway, terrible. thanks for the suggestion. I think I'm going to go with this because I know what I'm... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was great, and the audiences are brilliant. So was, oh, that sounds uh, like quite was... a buzz. Yeah, it's great fun. Well, welcome anyway. And, uh, and so we've had Dave, PJ. Uh, oh, and we've done Dave Spears as well. So it's now all I ha- only remains to, to say hello to Rich Hilton, who's there sporting what looks like a new microphone, from what I can tell. Yes, it's true. Ah. Uh, it's a... Uh, large diaphragm tube condenser microphone from a company in nashville called mike tech i've that, heard of uh, them i think we covered them um at, at shows previously mm-hmm. and uh they're a couple of friends of mine and i've known them for years and uh they very graciously offered to let me try out their microphone excellent is it going to be purely podcast duties or are you going to put it in front of uh, some other things too well the, um i don't know what its future is yet <laughs> but but uh i wouldn't hesitate to put it in front of other things i i wanted to try it out here and see what it sounded like to me yeah it sounds good it does sound quite different to your usual mic. you use a cad don't you normally yeah i usually use the cad uh e200 I think it it's got a more of a presence peak i believe but it's also mm. uh, and i think i use the term slightly less woody in the show preamble in the sort of nicest possible way yeah yeah no I, they both sound pretty good to me i do hear a difference and uh, I'm interested, you know, in everybody's impressions. Uh, yeah, down the, so down far- the phone line, you sound, sound a lot lighter. Lighter, you less, right. You sound a lot, a lot brighter and, and uh, less bottom end, actually. Have you, have you lost yeah, that's your mic? That's how I hear <laughs> Well, thank you, Dave, and, and that's how I hear it, too, here. Well, excellent. And it, it's, uh, it, it's more silver. It's not quite as big <laughs> for those of you watching the video. Sorry, that's, that's a very fatuous and unnecessary it's... point to make. Is that the microphone or the sound? Yeah. Well, it depends how you feel, really. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, I wonder, uh, Reason 6, we could start with a, a bit of Reason 6. I think I might have a bit of video to play for that. Which... When it comes to self-expression, there are no rules, no right or wrong. We are artists first. Creators that follow instinct and inspiration. 
We don't only use live instruments, and we don't only use electronic synths. We'll try anything to get the sound that's in our heads. That's why this fall, the rack is being united inside Reason. Introducing Reason version 6. The fun, fast, and creative music-making platform is about to get a whole lot bigger, fatter, and ready for any idea you can throw at it. Combining all the features from Record, version 6 adds audio recording into Reason, along with Propellerhead's acclaimed mixer, its masterfully modeled EQ and dynamics on every channel, and that legendary master bus compressor. Reason 6 comes with all the effects you know and love. That's enough of that. Um, but yes, Reason 6, this is the announcement that Reason 6 has now become sort of united in a kind of Cody sense to uh, record, which we always were a bit puzzled at the separation of the two, but now it's all, you can get it all together or will be able to. I think there's a public beta available now and it's going to be coming out, uh, I think, in, 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 all, well, in the autumn. Is that right? According to the it show says September. It says September 30th here on their website. So that, that, I'd say that's slap bang in the middle of autumn. That's autumn, yeah. Um, have they done, is this a kind of, do you, do you, does anyone see this as a, a move forward or a retrograde step? It's kind of hard to tell what it is, really, because, I mean, imagine a lot of effort must have had to go into actually merging them rather than kind of doing different things. I, I, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Rich, are you a Reason user? Um, no, but I, I hang around them some, and I, I've been around quite a few, and I have great regard for the program and for those guys at propeller heads in general. Yeah. Great. Um, my impression of this is what took them so long. In <laughs> fact, why was record released as an audio product only product to begin with, unless it was to continue the financial stream necessary to make this because I, I just, even when record came out, I didn't understand why they wouldn't integrate it and call it one large DAW instead of like some sort of, you know, sequencing synth host versus an audio program. Like bringing them together makes complete sense, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Gaz, um, are you a Reason guy? I mean, it, it seems like uh, the only thing that I would say is, obviously now we've got, you know, one fairly complete solution and another one, they're going to be merged together. Aren't we in danger of ed entering that sort of rather scary bloatware territory that all uh, pieces of software that have longevity uh, approach with trepidation well i guess their trump card is the fact that it is a closed system and that everything is integrated and you can't bring in external uh plugins and stuff so i guess the bloat is relatively confined i think because it's uh um because of that you know because it's just a you know it, it's it is right. that kind I see of what you mean yeah you know and i think that's really good i mean i've taught reason in a um in a college in Bristol uh, for numerous years, and uh, I really didn't like teaching it, to be honest, because uh, for new for newbies, you know, it is quite a complicated piece of software. But I always admired it, though. I always thought it ran really well, and it really ran very well on quite low spec machines. Well, that's true. I think, uh, um, and I'm intrigued to know how this Reason Six will kind of affair in in that way. And I do think, you know, it is a very appealing idea, this closed system. I mean, obviously, I'm sure Dave wouldn't necessarily agree. Um, but, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of productivity, and, you know, there certainly could be plenty of tools to work with. So, uh, I, yeah, I think, it, I think it's good. I mean, I, I totally agree with Rich as well in terms of, you know, why didn't this happen earlier? And in fact, when I was running my course, you know, people couldn't understand 
why you couldn't record like a vocal into reason or something, you know. And um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely up for it, and I think uh, I'd like to try it out. Yeah, I, I, and why ever not? I mean, the one thing that uh, John Van Eaton in the chat room says, you can't bring other plugins into it so it never crashes. But by the same token, if it's now working as a, a regular door, you can't bring any other software that you've, invent, you've invested in into it either, in, unless you're bringing it in with Rewire. But it does have 64-bit uh, capability, which has got to be a good thing, right? PJ, are you, uh, are you in Reason uh, land, or is it uh, just not of any interest to you guys? No, I own a copy of Reason. Um... I haven't upgraded since version four. Uh, I find that I, I've used it less and less, but this is this is interesting. Um, I have one speculation. I'm not sure whether or not this is correct. Uh, I'm not sure whether this is correct or not. Um, it could have simply been the development cycle because in a certain way, Record and Reason are integrated. If you own both those products, uh, you can open up the Reason rack inside of Record and it operates as it does in Reason. Right. And it's been that way since day one with Record. And so I'm wondering if it wasn't just a development cycle thing at, because Record came out, I think it was a full year and a half before Reason 5 was was released. And I think they simply didn't want to wait until the release of Reason 5, although they probably could have, to integrate the two products. And then uh, since the new version is 64-bit, they just coded them together. That's, right. that's, all, that's all I can think of, think of is why they did it the way they did. Also, uh, I think it uh, engendered a little more uh, income as, or revenue, as, as uh, sure. uh, Rich suggested earlier. But... Uh, I like the closed system of reason. I mean, as as everybody said, I don't have much to add to it. It runs really, really well on just about any machine. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how this new version stacks up. I think I will upgrade to version six and just give it a shot. Right, uh, Dave Robinson. Are you, are you? I mean, your kind of your world by its very definition in ProSign News is kind of perhaps not uh, in this area. But I mean, is it something that you use personally when you're kind of tinkling away or working on I any have, ideas? Uh, I have I have used the reason, yeah. Um, I think it was version. Uh, this is about a year and a half ago, so it could have been either four or five. But um, I've I've a little more to add actually. I think everybody's kind of said what what is kind of logical to deduce from from what's happened. They had a release schedule. They had to get record out there, but they were always going to integrate it into a bigger door uh, to make it more appealing. Uh, for users who perhaps haven't got a big uh, logic system or a big um, protocol system, uh, and fancy sort of approaching it from a from another angle. Yeah. Um, I've always liked what Propeller had do. Uh, I, I like the fact that they they always come up with something new and challenging and shiny. And uh, they're, they're, you know, as a as a software company, they they've managed to stay as far as i understand it they've managed to stay so sort of independent from being bought by the likes of yamaha or apple or whatever so you've got to admire their their stance and their um their gusto and the and the innovations they come out with so um you know good luck to them but as as everybody has said this kind of the, the whole integration thing is a long time overdue and well you know it's uh, it's here now and uh, we always knew it was going to happen a bit like um, a bit like pro tools you know Becoming native, uh, going yeah. native. I suppose yeah, becoming so. native. Inevitable. It was going to happen. It just had to. You just had to keep waiting for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. Dave Spears. Reason? Is this, is this any surprises? Anything makes you kind of think? Well, I mean, who's this going to be for? Both people who've bought Record and Reason. No, I, I mean, it, 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 I've got nothing really to add. It just makes total sense to me. I was surprised when Record came out, and I was surprised at the amount of people who really 
appeared to love it because I it was kind of for me it was like oh, I don't really get it and I do like Reason and I, in fact I like right. Propeller Heads I like everything they've done pretty much uh, so yeah makes absolute sense and uh, I'm sure it will be a major hit for them well let's hope so that's I do wonder though, actually, that um, and someone like Dave's Dave's case, and uh, you know, and G and G Force, you rather than upgrading a product, I mean, okay, you bought out your Imposca too, I think, or you bring it out, aren't you? Is it out? Yeah, yeah, half of it that yeah. stays out. <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, you move on to a new plugin, and you bring out something, you you bring out a new product rather than Pro Tools nine or. Logic 15 or, you know, Cubase 15 or whatever it is now. So it's one of those things where you every every time you've got to bring out a new feature set, you've got to bring out a, a new set of tools. It makes me wonder how many of these tools actually get used, how many of these extra. I mean, we're looking at the spec here. The, the Line that 6 amp models, the pulverizer, sand question effect, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, all these new uh, knobs and bells and whistles. How much of that actually stuff really gets used by people? But the manufacturers, the developers of this software, have to be shown to giving something extra and something value in the next uh, in the next edition, because otherwise they uh, they don't have a business plan. I think they, yeah, but the reason guys have a real hardcore community, don't they? They do have a real hardcore fan community, and I know mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure they take on board mm-hmm. a load of comments from their users. In fact. They're almost like a sort of model of that kind of hardcore users. Yeah, they kind of they they made the yeah. mold, didn't they? Then yeah. before Ableton yeah. came along. But in light of what PJ pointed out, which is that you've always been able to use Reason from within Record, what this really amounts to is a brilliant, brilliant marketing move because they have an enormous user base in the Reason software, and they were establishing a new user base in the Record software. So whereas previously they were trying to sell Reason into their new Record software user base, which was very small at the time, now they're going to sell Record into their enormous Reason user base. So functionally, uh, uh, based on what I understand PJ to have said, it's essentially the same thing. It's just that now you've just opened up your market enormously. I think that's right. And created a second launch date around it. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah. uh, John Van Eaton also in the chat room says their music uh, music month in May was uh, rocking. I mean, there's some brilliant, absolutely brilliant pieces of tech, uh, you know, t- uh, t- technical tips and tricks on, on music production within Reason. So they're obviously ramping that whole side of things up, and I think that makes perfect sense. So I think also given the so, fact that it's a closed environment, I just want to address what Dave Robinson said earlier. Mm-hmm. The fact that Reason is a closed environment, I think, gives um, the longevity of this product, uh, something that other products don't necessarily have, whereas other products could be seen as being bloatware when they start adding new compressors, new equalizers, new delays, yeah. that kind of thing. Reason is not so much that that way because every new tool that they add is is somewhat useful given the fact that you can't use a third-party solution for the same thing. Oh, that's true. I, I, I see, yeah, yeah. That's a very good yeah. point, PJ. Well, uh, we wish them luck. I don't know if anyone uh, yeah. gets on the beta program and uh, mm-hmm. let us know how it goes, and uh, maybe, maybe I'll sign up for it and see. But then uh, and see how it how it all works. But uh, anyway, that was uh, our sort of lead story, I guess. Um, I'm just going to do uh, a message from our sponsors, and then I know Dave Robinson has been involved in some rather interesting uh, developments over at the Science Museum. So perhaps you'll be able to tell us yeah. a little bit about that, Dave. I'd love to. I'm 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 champing at the bit, gagging here. for it. Well, I've got some video to show <laughs> at the beginning of that. But first of all. 
I just want to say thank you very much to the show sponsors, YamahaSynth.com, YamahaDownload.com. What you're looking at here, if you're watching the video stream, are some lovely sexy shots of the Yamaha N12 analog hybrid mixer, which is basically, as you, the listeners of the podcast will know, is a... An analog mixer with built-in high-quality, high-resolution FireWire audio interface, uh, 24-bit 96K, available as the N8 and N12. The N8 is 8-channel, N12 is 12-channel. It's got a characterized N-mic preamp, sweet spot morphing compressor, advanced integration with Cubase, high-z input for direct guitar or bass recording, wide-range musical EQ, high-resolution RevX reverb, fully integrated pro-level monitoring suite, auxic sends for artist monitoring, external processing, dryer wet monitoring signal control, as I said, 24-bit 96K. And what we're saying, uh, Yamaha saying, head over to one of their Pulse stores. If you're in the UK, you go to yamahasynth.com or Yamaha Download, check out where the Pulse stores are in the UK, and um, take some audio in, take a mic in, have a listen, check out those inline compressors, check out the features and the mic preamps. I know PJ has... Um, experience of these, uh, the same mic preamps that are in uh, his Steinberg uh, audio interface, and he, swe- he says they, they do hold up very well against sort of more expensive competitors. So check them out for yourself. Uh, as I say, yamahasynth.com, yamahadownload.com. If you're in the US, just get over to a big uh, dealer, um, one of the major ones should have these in stock, and you'll be able to check out the features. So once again, we thank very much Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show. And uh, we'd just like to point out we've had some rather good news when it comes to the uh, podcast figures. I've just moved over to a new storage system and we've had, uh, there's been a very exciting bump in numbers um, because I think they're, they're being recorded properly. So I'm looking forward to spreading the love out to all our participants and showing. Uh, and the advertisers, hopefully as well. But anyway, um, we thank our present advertiser and um, absolutely fantastic. So, Dave, I'm going to try and play. I've got this uh, thing queued up, I think, and it's the Oramix. Uh, and I'm just yep. going to try and play that. So let me just quickly see if I can get that to, to go. I'll... you to some of the very varied sort of soundtracks which are produced by studio. This is uh, yeah, the Oramix exactly machine. It's been for years. It's, it's, a, it's going to be a hell of a project. So, and it's such a... Beat. It's in the back of a van being picked up and it just looks like a kind of destroyed tangle of wires and tubes at the moment, so I think it's quite a serious amount of work oh, they're going to have. Look, it's, oh, look at you. So these would have been put on by Daphne herself. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Have you got any? Oh, look. Oh, they're exciting, actually. Some of them are just plain tapes, but there are one or two with some writing on, and... That in itself is, is exciting enough. Yeah. But this is just... mind-blowing. So what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and build a version of it, a replica. Playing the thing that's... Ah, oh, that's right. <laughs> Right now, if I can just get myself together, um, that basically means that, yeah, that was the Oramix machine, which is Daphne Oram, which is, it's kind of, as far as I understand, it's an optical synthesizer uh, that runs kind of, t- well, cellul- cellulite film 
and has the sound sources actually drawn or scribbled or scratched? I'm not entirely sure. Dave uh, Robinson, though, uh, will perhaps know a little bit more and help dig me out of this hole I've just created for myself. Well, no, that's, no, that's fine. You're doing very well, actually, Nick. It, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Um, Daphne Oram was a, she was a composer working remotely for the Radiophonics Workshop in it when it was in its infancy at the end of the 1950s. And PJ and, and, and Rich, you know, the, you know the Radiophonics Workshop? You know what that was? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So um, uh, she was working remotely in, in a sort of a spooky-looking sort of a house down in Kent, and um, she designed a, the, a kind of effectively a digital synthesizer, which, as you say, used pulleys and film. The film was drawn across uh, optic sensors, and um, they triggered a, 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 a kind of um, a sound depending on uh, a waveform which was drawn on another um, center. Um, and she, she had this idea for this machine. It was built by, I think, a, a guy called Graham Wrench, and it was, appeared on uh, lots of sort of radio and sound tracks and, uh, for, the, for the BBC during the uh, late 50s and the, and the 60s. Um, and then um, she, uh, she sort of fell out of love, as far as I can understand it, with uh, radiophonics. And um, the machine itself, which was a one-of-a-kind um, device, um, the machine sort of went, uh, sort of disappeared. And then it turned up um, a, a well-known, I'm not going to say who it was, but a well-known synth collector in this country um, had, had got hold of it and was storing it in a barn in Brittany. And uh, the, the, the Science Museum found out that it was there and uh, they agreed to, to purchase this for the... Uh, for the good of the people, I guess. And so what you see in that bit of film is when they're unloading into the van, I think is when it's actually arriving at the, the Science Museum. And it's like a big, it's like a big Meccano kit with, with these rollers and this film on it. Uh, and it's, it's quite amazing to, to see because it really is so very complicated, but yet so very primitive, if you see what I mean. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a separate unit for, uh, for the, with the, uh, the optic sensors um, uh, held in and sort of what look, looks like a drinks cabinet and then there are these two awful sounding speakers apparently which were used and it's just this amazing amazing machine so um what uh, the science museum decided to do they acquired this machine last year they decided to build um a whole exhibition about electronic music um based around this uh, oramics machine as the centerpiece and um, there was a, there was a did, job going as a curator, wasn't there? Well, this is the thing. So they then put out on their uh, blog, uh, on their website, on their blog, and to to various other um, uh, synth and and uh, science related uh, posting uh, forums that they were looking for curators. And I can't remember. I think Simon Powell or somebody associated with our with our group here um, post forwarded it to me, um, and I thought I'd. You know, I thought I'd, I'd uh, apply to, to take part. And I thought you, you talked to them as well, didn't you, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I so, didn't get um... it. <laughs> <laughs> so, come on, cut to the chase, Dave Robinson. What happened? Did you, did you get the job? Well, yeah. So, um, the, the, we've been meeting for the last uh, five weeks uh, at, at the Science Museum or in the storerooms at the Science Museum. And uh, it's a co-curation thing. There's been kind of 12 of us. And it's been a fascinating exercise in um, 
decision making and um, uh, a, a joint sort of excitement and enthusiasm for the subject. They got 12 people uh, because they thought that, you know, by the end of the, the, the series of sessions, there'd only be six, maybe six people left. But everybody has stayed because everybody has, has uh, been really feeling the excitement and the energy in the group. And, uh, I mean, there's a drum and bass DJ. There's uh, a guy who owns a record label in Brighton. There's a uh, there's a couple of students. There's a there's a freelance um, sound designer. Uh, there's a, a composer from Holland. Um, there's a guy who works as a, a, a trainee accountant, I think. But um, well, not a trainee accountant. Sorry, John, if you're listening. Um, but uh, you know, he's he's got a job in the city. Uh, but you know, he's got this huge interest in electronic music. So there's a real diverse. Oh, um, Angus from F Expansion. Um, he's uh, he's you know the MD of F Expansion. He's uh, he's on the uh, he's on the uh, the curating group, and we've been getting together every Tuesday for a few hours in the, the either the Science Museum stores, which are in Hammersmith, or the actual Science Museum itself, and we've been discussing what themes we should have, what uh, how we should um, how we should uh, demonstrate and exhibit a, a history of electronic music because, of course, there are lots of histories. You could do it around the machines, you could do it around the music, you could do it around the, the pioneers, the inventors. You know, there, there are lots of ways of doing it. So um, you could do it around BPM, actually, if you like. Uh, so we've been discuss- <laughs> well. This is one of the things we looked we looked at. Um, so h- how to actually create uh, this exhibit, and it's been the most fantastic few weeks and uh, you know hence me not being uh, not being around to be on sonic state because i've been having to take time out uh to on a tuesday and uh to, to do this but it's we had our last session yesterday and um we uh well the, the last kind of formal sessions there's some follow-up stuff we're going to have to do um uh, the actual machine the oramics machine goes on display to the public next thursday um ah. some yeah so I think officially at about sort of 11 o'clock in the morning, they've got the official sort of press launch um, of this. But it's open to anybody who wants to go, as far as I understand it. Uh, it's been, you know, it's been launched to the public. Um, and uh, then our part of the exhibition, which will be this history of electronica, uh, will uh, commences sometime in October. I mean, effectively, now we've decided on the content and how we're going to put it together. Um, but the actual thing that then has to be built uh so um yeah it's just been it's been absolutely brilliant i mean what's been a real highlight has been going into the storerooms and seeing what kit they've got as you can oh, imagine i was going to ask you about that yeah cause, well i, I think uh, i mean uh, dave's certainly seen a few of the pictures that i've posted did you say that was your roland system 700 dave no, I said that was my ARP 2500 that you were going to buy me or just remove from that cabinet that it was So have they, got, have, they literally, have they got kind of like one of everything in, um, in the basement, as it were? Is that how it works? Well, in the storeroom, yeah. It's the old, um, it's called the Blythe Stores. And I know this is very London-centric, everybody, but if it's the old building near Hammersmith. It's where you used to send off your post office savings books, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s, when people used to go to the post office, take money in, and then, you know, uh, they'd take your book and then they'd send it back to you in the post. Well, it would go to this huge building where there were 4,000 people sat with their little desks and their little, um, you know, uh, drawers with with individual accounts for each post office in the UK. And that was the savings bank, effectively. So it was decommissioned 
by um, uh, by the post office, and then it was bought by the, the government for the science museum. It's where where the science museum and the Victoria and Albert Museum um, keep their what they call their small to medium sized objects, and there are two hundred and fifty thousand objects in there. Um, Wow. And you know, in this one in one particular room, we went to see what goodies they got, and they've got a VCS three, and they've got three Mellotrons, and they've got uh, they've got a Fairlight, and they've got um, yeah, the ARP uh, twenty is it twenty five hundred twenty five yeah twenty five and the ARP twenty five hundred, and they've got um, a Moog uh, nine hundred modular, and they've got an ARP Quadra. And uh, they've got the Roland uh, 700 system, uh, 700, and you know the, the modules, not the full system. They've got you know a few modules, and they've got they've just got a, a variety of things. They, they, there are things that they haven't got, which we would like to be in the exhibit. You know, we were sort of so. Dave, tell me, have, have you got budget from Science Museum to go out and buy a load of antiques since then? Is that what you're trying to say? Well. <laughs> We have recommended that certain purchases were made. For instance, we would like to see uh, we'd like to see a 303 in there. We'd like to see a mini Moog. Um, I don't know whether those things are possible. Frankly, I don't think they've got the kind of budget that somebody would be charging for right. a uh, that kind of. I was going to say I really like the idea that somehow Sonic Talk is only one slightly slightly removed from spending taxpayers' money on buying synthesizers <laughs> for the state. It's just it's just it's good, isn't it? <laughs> but it's all for the it's all for the greater good of the British public. That's uh, that's the important thing. And you. So it's uh, but, but the, the journey we've had over the last, and I won't go about this too much, but it, it has been a fantastic few weeks because we've had these sessions at the museum and then we've been to see what they do in terms of conserving um, the various artifacts that they have. And they, you know, they will not plug anything in. So we cannot have a synthesizer that's plugged in for people to play. Well, because it'll get broken. Obviously, and of course, as soon as you plug something in, you are then the wear and tear. It, it is wearing down. You know, it, it's losing its uh, its value, and it's um, uh, you know, it, it, you're not preserving it anymore. You're not conserving it anymore. You're you're um, effectively destroying it. So are they? So we can't uh, are they looking at essentially taking this? You know, this is they're talking about preserving this for hundreds or thousands of years. Is that the way they're approaching it? Well, they're looking at yeah, conserving it, and um, it will not be switched on. It will be restored in as much as they can make it. But they're not going to start replacing parts. To uh, to make it work, because as as um, Tim, uh, the the chief curator said, it's it's the old story. Well, we've got the original hammer, but it's had three handles and two heads. You know what? So that's why they don't want to do anything to change the the way it is at the moment, other than other than cleaning it up. So what, um, they, what they need is um, a bunch of laptops and some Imposca two controllers for some synthesizer, <laughs> uh, hands-on synthesizer action, eh? <laughs> Something like that. Well, we've, we've been looking at how can we make this interactive to some degree, and um, we'd like a kind of an oscillator bank and you know maybe a, a cutoff and a resonance, and you know just so that people can turn the dials and hear what uh, an, an oscillator, a filtered oscillator, sounds like. But um, I, I'm not quite sure how it's going to manifest itself when, you when should, they actually... You, you should talk to the Schne- Schneider's Buero guys and the massive carousel thing. I mean, I'm sure they'd be interested in um, something or other. That would be, you know... Well, well maybe. Well, but well, anyway, it's all... Uh, it's, uh, there's, there's more work. We, we're going to be, we've got to write the text and, and uh, we've got to fine-tune, um, which we'll be doing remotely, the, uh, the exhibit. But... Uh, it's been it's been fascinating, and particularly I have to say the uh, the uh, last Tuesday afternoon when uh, the original designer of the VCS3, Peter Zinoviev, came in uh, along with a couple of the guys from the Radiophonic Workshop, so Dick Mills and um, Brian Hodgson, 
So we all had kind of lunch together. And Brian Hodgson is, you know, famously the guy that that scraped the keys down the piano string for the sound of the TARDIS. So you know, there we were sat next to the man who came up with, you know, arguably the the most the most famous sound effect in BBC television history, if you like. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I would I'd say it probably was. So it was, you know, these silver-haired gentlemen coming in to tell us about their memories of Daphne and and what it was like when they were back in the day. And it was, you know, it was fascinating stuff. But just, uh, just, just glorious. I mean, it's been a, it's been a fabulous opportunity that the Science Museum has afforded to us, and you know we're all very grateful for that. Um, and I've met some great people um, through this as well. Um, and I was just chatting to Andy. I've got to give Andy Wedden a mention, who runs Concrete Plastic uh, Label in Brighton, because I said uh, he, I think he was going to tune in. Um, he was telling me how he's actually got a Devilfish 303. Um, in fact, he's got two 303s, uh, which he bought from a local ad in Brighton for 25 quid. Oh. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> he bought, neither of them, were, neither of them were, were working, so he kind of opened them up, sort of did them up a bit, and he sold one of them to Chris Clark. And then the money he made from that, he, he, had, it, um, he had it modified in, in, the US, in Australia by uh, Robin Whitmore, you know, Mr. Devilfish. So he's got this, um, he's got this uh, the, the Devilfish 303. He's, what he's also got, and I have, must give this a mention because he brought it in yesterday, he's got his own circuit-bent um, speak and spell, which, uh, which, which, he made him, which he made himself. And the company Sonic Couture... Yes. Make, um, yeah. Well, they have yeah. modelled their um, circuit bent speak and spell on his design. So if you look up speak and spell on Sonic Couture, it's Andy's. Uh, it's Andy's design, and I it's amazing. Library, we, actually, yeah, it's a good. Yeah, library. we. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were. I mean, he brought the original in yesterday, and we were all sort of fascinated by this strange burbling machine. You know. Mm. But yeah, well, it's it been great, like- and. It's been, yeah, and I, I would please, please encourage everybody, uh, I mean, if you can get there before the, the full exhibition and have a quick look at the Oranix machine, because it's, it'll be sort of, there'll be half, the, half the space will be taken up with the Oranix machine, and there'll be audio examples of the, the sounds it produced, and there'll be, uh, vintage, there'll be sort of footage that BBC made in the 1950s. Um, about electronic composers and, you know, they've got footage of interviews of Stockhausen and Tristram Carey and that kind of stuff. But um, uh, it's, it's just fascinating stuff. And, and then in October, our part of the exhibition will be completed as well. To, uh, and then you'll have a history of electronica, which integrates with this, um, with this amazing uh, machine. Oh, brilliant. So, yeah. Um, but nothing, and, uh, but nothing's plugged in. So we need to get you need to get some hands-on examples, don't we? We need, need well, people what we're twiddling hoping, I was going to, <laughs> What we're hoping to do, Nick, is maybe have the science museum have these late nights uh, where they open once a month to uh, you know over 18s. Basically, they have sort of comedy science demonstrations, and they have a silent disco, and they have a bar, and they have you know the flight simulators are working and that kind of stuff. And um, you can, it's a good sort of night for for a date if you like I mean I've been on a couple of them <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's um, uh, been because it's just up the road from Imperial College so you get a good uh, you know the, the gene pool is quite rich if you like <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't go to, can I just clarify, uh, clarify I don't go to pray on, on um, science uh, science undergraduate female like um, okay but, <laughs> just just clarifying but um if they have a great it's a great night it's great fun these uh, these evenings and we're hoping to maybe do an event that will tie into that where we can make some noise and maybe 
you know, play some music out on laptops or whatever, taking turns, the different curators taking turns to, to DJ or whatever. So how yeah. long does the actual whole thing run quickly? Well, it will, it will run for, uh, I think the completed thing will run for about a year, we've been told. So oh, right, plenty okay. Of time to, plenty to of time it. to see it. Yeah. So that's at the Science Museum. What's the URL? Is sciencemuseum.org, is it? .co.org? Um, I can't remember. I think it's something like that, yeah. Okay, well, I'll put the link in the show notes. But thanks very much. That sounds like a great gig, actually, and uh, could lead on it to was, greater was, things as well, by the sound of it. Yeah. So, wow. Um, so thanks for listening to that, guys. That's all I know. Thank you. Splurge. That was, I, and I want to apologise, because that was a bit of a last-minute topic, and um, probably the rest of the participants are thinking... What? I don't remember reading anything about this in the show notes, but uh, now, now you've been fully filled in. Uh, which actually does bring perhaps a, a, another topic that would be kind of pertinent, which is external signal processes in, thing, in synths. Because I spend a lot of time, you know, looking, looking at synth videos and what have you to try and uh, just to sort of uh, get uh, topics going for the podcast, you know, coming up with ideas for topics. And one of them I did see was this just seems to be an awful lot of people processing external audio through just filters in synths and i'm sure there must be other things and better ways to do it and i just wondered whether or not you know there's a few questions that raised me i know rich hilton you are um you know you worked in synthesizer sales and sort of had a lot to do with a lot of modular synthesizers as well and i wondered kind of you know what other avenues are open other than just you know the old kind of just getting the filter going because there's also the pitch to voltage in the ms20 which are the best synths for such a job well there's a bunch of classes of things you can do. One of them is to use the audio input as one part of a combined audio input that's being manipulated. So, for example, in the case of a ring modulator, where you're adding together two things, um, one of which is at least one of which is changing, one of the changing elements or the changing element can be the external audio uh, modulating against something that's taking place in the synthesizer and then Ideally, if you have some kind of envelope following at all, you can also be doing some filtering and other triggered events with that. So I've, and then once you start audio modulating those sources before the ring modulator, you get into a whole nother area of clangorous weirdness. And uh, so there are ways to use the external audio as an oscillator in a grouping of oscillators that are doing or being processed together in some ways. Okay, and, uh, so, right, I, I'm not, I've not tried that one before. I suppose the other one is um, a lot of people use the ARP 2500 and, uh, 2600 and the, the, the reverb and processing and a bit of filtering just for sort of static kind of snapshots. That's what I've, I, I've experienced yeah. I've come across as well. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, working at Cornell in the late 70s, I used to invite people, really good players up, to the Cornell Electronic Music Lab where I would have some uh, improvised synthetic sort of textured backgrounds going and I would encourage them to, imp- to play while I did live manipulation of their performances in mostly AKS synthy um, on the way to tape through through various echoes and delays and things like that. And we would do those kinds of behaviors, lots of ring modulating, lots of audio frequency modulating of, of source sounds and things like that. Hmm, interesting. Dave Spears, I mean, cause you, I guess we can do the same in software now as well, but I mean, you're kind of a fairly hardware guy. What, what other, any favorites and any sort of tips and tricks about what's perhaps to try other than just whacking it through the filter? It's interesting, Rich says about the ring mod. I do like that very much. Um, I don't know. I don't want this to sound like a big advert, but I do 
we did an effects version of the Imp 2 because we had to. Basically, everyone was kind of going, can we put stuff through this filter? But what I really, really enjoyed about it is there's a ring mod on there that we can process stuff through. You can repeat the envelopes, and of course, everything's in sync, so that all works beautifully. You can have some, you can route it so that you've got some audio from one oscillator. So you can use an arpeggiator, but also if you set the keyboard tracking across the keyboard, you can process the external audio across the keyboard with the filter and blah, blah, blah. So there's actually tons and tons of things you can do. And I only, like an advert, Yeah, no, 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 I don't really want it to sound like a big advert, but it's, but it's the fact that I've been working <laughs> Sorry, on this for so advert. long and uh, <laughs> it's inevitable, really. But uh, so, yeah, I've kind of got locked into that mode. Right. Okay. Um. Obviously, we've got the MS twenties. You know, been used a lot. I mean, on the some of the so that, was the that was the big one that, that was quite. I mean, that's in your history of synth. That you mentioned that a lot, don't you? For a big, uh, uh, the, one of the big points of it was the filtering of the uh, sticking stuff through the MS twenty filter. Well, also it's got the fantastic um, uh, pitch tracking, which nobody seems to have done sort of in quite the same way. I mean, it's it's sort of wrong in such a right way. It's got this kind of, it disintegrates at the beginning and the end of notes as it tries to tack, tackle the kind of, you know, the rise or the fall of uh, a voice or whatever. And that and it just sound, it sounds very visceral and organic and real. And that's one thing that's really quite amazing. Um, I'm just trying to think any other um, models. I don't know. Um, PJ, have you kind of done much in terms of exp external processing, either soft or hardware synthesizers? Uh, yeah, both. And I am a huge fan of ring modulation. My favorite being, um, although I haven't yet played around with the Imposter 2's ring modulator much processing external, external audio, but I will be doing that, uh, is the Mooger Fuger. Uh, uh, yeah. both, both the hardware and software versions of that ring modulator are fantastic. Well, that's true because of those those kind of pedal format make it ideal for processing external audio. That's a very good point. I know, Gaz. Um, I, I, I'm guessing you probably do some wacky processing of stuff in, as well. I just have a feeling you might. Oh yeah, I have done yeah plenty of. Uh, um, it, the uh, VCS three is the one I, uh, I borrowed one for a, a short while and is just a box of glorious tricks, really, and. Uh, um, and I really didn't know very much what I was doing at the time. Well, I still don't really. But um, and I was really enjoying that as well. That that sort of ignorance, really. You know, <laughs> just plugging things in and just kind of making it kind of just make really horrible noises. Um, uh, but I mean, like numerous things have been mentioned. Is uh, I totally love um, ring mods. Massive fan of ring mods. Uh, I've actually got an interesting ring mod, Electroharmonics. It's like a pedal. It's called a ring thing, and it's got one feature I've not seen on anything else. I don't know if anybody else knows anything like it, but it's got a tune function, and you can like hold down a, you can hold down a pedal, and uh, hold down one of the switches and um, play a note into it, and it'll tune the ring mod into whatever note you're playing. So it'll pick out the so, fundamental or something. Yeah, ah. and. It's superb. It's superb. It means you can kind of get all that kind of ring moddy sort of craziness, but still sort of um, have like a kind of a, a pitch at the centre of it, um, you know, that you can kind of build riffs around. And um... that was the whole point of ring modulation was you didn't have anything you could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was the that was anything like a real pitch. <laughs> yeah, but this is what's great because, you know. Yeah, it's, not, a nice, uh, uh, it's a nice function. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, especially because I like, I like to do it for bass line, you see. So I'll have like the root of whatever key I'm playing in. And then all the other notes are just, you know, you know, the further yeah. away from the fundamental you get, the more kind of 
out there it becomes so you know you can yeah. sort of kind of combine the two sort of ideas and uh it's a great it's a great thing i've not actually experienced that on anything else i don't know if anyone else has um but that's i'm no i'm not I, I'm, I'm used to use ring mod quite a lot on the ms20 um because mm. it will quite often just use a single kind of uh, gated line and the uh the oscillator was made up of a wave and a ring mod wave and you can get that harmonically rich stuff and it's sort of particularly going through the ms20 filter it's very broken anyway and sort of uh, ragged and that um sort of just adds to that sort of sense of it uh, yeah so ring ring mod, as rich says in the chat room ring modulator seems to be the word of the day today <laughs> might have to be something to do with the show title perhaps i'm not sure yet we'll have to work on that but <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> but um yeah interesting topic it just just it just sort of came up it was there's no real trigger for it other than i just saw a load of people processing stuff and it all seemed the same so I, that's some interesting ideas the ring mod side i've never really had a d- deal with that um, dave robinson are you uh, are you much to process external audio uh, through my, synthesizers? My is very limited. Last time I used a ring modulator, it was to try and recreate some kind of Dalek voice, actually. And uh, this was a few years ago. And I remember saying something, pretending to be a Dalek, and uh, listening back to it. And uh, a friend of a friend said, you know, that Dalek comes from Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Despite, despite the fact, despite the fact that my voice was heavily disguised, you could see it. You could still hear me say "exterminate." So I stayed away. They, they betray my uh, betray my roots too much. Okay, that's going in the show title list. Daleks from Birmingham. Daleks with regional dialect. That's fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. That's a great story. Thanks there, Dave. (laughs) Excuse me. Well, I I think we've probably got time for another topic. How are you, Dave? Because I know you have to book the room by the hour, and uh, we've... we've, Yeah, I've got got another few minutes. Well, let's maybe we should have a... um, a, a, Can we talk about that guitar? That guitar, yes, okay. Let me see if I can find the oscillations a minute. That's a good uh, good one. Let me see where it is. Uh, Movies. Where have they gone? They seem to. Ah, there we go. Movies. Let me just get that. Ah, here we go. This is a guy who's put an iPhone inside a guitar and filming as he played. Just let the strings look like oscillate. If you're not watching the video, you won't be getting the effect of this. It sort of doesn't look real. And there's an awful lot of discussion as to whether or not it is. You get the picture. I think I've I've probably uh, shown enough. Uh, Interesting, this was basically... uh, Oh, hold on. Uh... Oh. Uh, just, just Kyle Vids. Uh, it's not a synth, but he thought it was interesting to form a natural oscilloscope. He just happened upon this trick when testing it, and it was like filming from inside my guitar. Uh, note, this effect is due to a rolling shutter, which is non-representative of how strings actually vibrate. Tips, you must have the strings brightly backlit to get the camera to catch such a high frame rate. Picture conjecture. You can see how the effect fades when buildings come into view. Use a pencil. This was used with a front-facing camera. And I didn't know... I mean, I was looking at this, and I just thought, 
Is that, I mean, why would you fake this? Because it would take an awful lot of drawing stuff on frames. I mean, do you think it's real? Just, I, I know Dave Robinson, you, you had your doubts. <laughs> I looked at it, and then the, the fact that there's, there's a huge edit, he, he sets it up, and then it, he starts playing it, and there's a huge edit between the two. Right, that was, which is a bit, looked a bit suspicious. Right. Um, the, uh, and then suddenly he's, he's setting it up, and then he's, he's got these buildings behind him. But if it, as you say, why would you fake it? But the, 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 the oscillations, the, uh, the waveforms that appear to uh, you know, manifest themselves, or you know, the, the shape of the strings, it just doesn't seem, just doesn't seem possible. This doesn't seem like that would happen. But then again, as you say, why would you fake something like that? Yeah, so, what, what would be the point? On, a, on Matrix rather than, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, the, the, um, the vulnerable snowman or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, spend your money on something that, uh, that people want to know about rather than if that's what a, a guitar string looks like from the inside of a guitar comes on an iPhone. Yeah, Gaz, very, you've got, very you've got strange, an iPhone. Very strange. Gaz, you've got an iPhone and a guitar. You're willing to put that yeah, in? Do it now. Are you going to put it in there? Yeah. <laughs> After I was watching that, I was thinking I might have to have a go with this because I watched those, um, those numerous videos trying to display the same uh, phenomena. Um, there's one with the double bass. I don't know if you've seen that one. No, um, I haven't. But uh, well, that looks nice. Although, do it. how would you get the thing out again of a double bass? You've only yeah, got an F hole. It's filming it from the side of the string, really. Ah, um, okay. And you can see a very similar kind of process. But with that one that we're talking about, it does look really like animation, though, doesn't it? The kind of Well, it does a bit. That's the thing. The move, it does look, you know, so I'm a little bit suspicious. I'm wondering whether it's based partly on the truth and whether it's been augmented somewhat to sort of... Because uh, there's some kind of waveforms you see sort of shoot along the strings that look really suspicious. Yeah, but, square. Um, yeah. I, I, yes, exactly. that's true. It's, it's possible for the, for the string to actually form that shape. Uh, I'd just like yeah. to say there are some chat, chat room comments coming in thick and fast. BBBBBBBB uh, says, Rolling shutter effects do distort movement and are direction sensitive. Um, Chaos R80 in the chat room says, uh, he thinks it's been done with a 3D program like Lightwave and no blur gives it away. Uh, but why would he fake it? That, that's, that's the question, says Azio Head. It's real normal physics. Too, too much time. Rich, do you... Apparently, there's a lot of discussion over on Reddit where people are kind of trying to figure out whether it's, it is real science or not. What do you think? Do you care, frankly? <laughs> yeah, not. Oh. I found it fast. I enjoyed it. I found it fascinating, and I think it's real. You think? There you go. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it, it is an interest, but the, some of those oscillator shapes, some of those were thinking about it we're a bit odd but then if 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 as uh, bbb says in the chat room they do distort then it's entirely possible i suppose i mean why would you, you would you'd have how many hours would it take you to fake that i mean really even if it was a low-res video well they did the landing on the moon didn't they they faked that yeah but that's got kind of slightly <laughs> what that's, that's got, if that was indeed the case that's got a slightly broader audience wouldn't you think and wider ramifications than some bloke's phone inside his guitar oh okay you think that's what he's working up to his next video yeah. will be something to do with the space shuttle yeah oh, Mars. Mars, yes. that's a good show title right there they fake the moon landing <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm putting it in oh my god uh, well i, I don't know i'm really fascinated i hadn't seen that before just now um, that's what, no really show prep? fascinating 
<laughs> no, there's a surprise. I was yeah, in Bristol this morning, so. Um, but we did see those videos, uh, what were they, 1,000 frames a second and whatnot, and they, when they were hitting symbols, I mean, that looked unnatural, the way yeah. the symbols mm-hmm. were distorting and stuff like that. So it's, it's eminently possible. Maybe it's there. It was just the fact that I'd never seen it before, and some of those waves were incredibly square. Mm. Yeah. But maybe that's to do with the, as as I said, it's the uh, what was it yeah. you said? The frame rate, the shutter, the shutter yeah. effect is is. I, is I mean, he, he did he did like mention, a moray like a moray effect. Yeah, of, you know, your TV that it doesn't at all yeah. correlate to the way that a string would vibrate. I mean, he says that right in you know right in the post underneath the video. But it does. If you've ever struck a harmonic and look at the string, it forms an almost perfect sine wave. No matter where you strike the harmonic, wherever, no matter where you stop the string and do the harmonic, if you look at it really closely, you see basically a sine wave. So the idea that different amounts of high frequency content in different plucked tones would give you different amounts of squaring in the waveform, which would therefore represent more high frequency, less high frequency, different kinds of frequency shapes, it all made sense to me. I, that's why I think it's real. What does he mean by use a pencil? I, I guess. <laughs> To poke, poke it out. To, 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 to position it in the phone. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah and to start it. Phone in the guitar. I, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that it's looking yeah. up through the I hole. I want to do this. Oh, right. Okay. All right, we're going to have to have some experiments yeah. here. I think there's going to be some experimentation. That's this, the, this, this week's this homework. Be, this has to be real because otherwise, you know, the guy would spend his time practicing, right? I mean, ah. there's just there's just, <laughs> there's just no way somebody would take wasn't that. The, are you real no, news? No, are you? I know. I'm, I'm being crass, but I mean, <laughs> no, why would you spend the hundreds of hours to to fake that or however many? Maybe it, maybe there's an application out there that does this now. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they're probably. I'm sure they're probably floating around YouTube. Why did people yeah. spend the time to do this? Well, uh, well. Anyway, um, I suppose we've got a couple more things just to mention. But uh, that was a, a nice bit of fun. Uh, how are you doing, Dave? Are you? Uh, are you uh, no, I'd better go. Actually, yeah, I've got Dave's, to go now. Dave, uh, Dave Robinson has to go. That's prosoundnewseurope.com. Um, the editor in chief. No, you're the editor, not yeah. the in chief. What does in chief mean? Yeah, well, anyway? you know, I'm the editor. Yeah, so watch out. Um, and, uh, if, if anybody's interested, then um, on Facebook, there's the uh, the the Oramix machine. O R A M I C S. The Oramix machine is a um, is a group on Facebook, which uh, and there's a there's a wall postings on there, keeping people uh, up to date with what happens with the machine, the progress of the exhibition, that kind of stuff. So uh, you know, join up to that if you're interested. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And All right. Yep. Speak to you again soon. Thank you very much for joining Thanks us, Dave. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. Well, bye, bye, everybody. Anyway, um, so uh, we've, we've probably just about got enough time to wish uh, VST uh, 15, happy 15th birthday. It's on the eve of, um, well, it's just it's the 16 being the kind of sweet 16. But uh, in terms of technology, I mean, what we got, MIDI at about 30 years and VST at 15 years. Seems like the basis of our entire kind of uh, instruments and uh, and communications is is on technology that's kind of extremely ancient. Not that VST isn't a fantastic technology, I'm sure it is, but uh, it's introduced in 1996. Uh, let's have a look. Um, 
Steinberg, Steinberg have, uh, due to the special occasion, Steinberg is presenting monthly limited special audit, uh, offers under the moniker Just 15, with each bundle newly determined on a monthly basis. Each promotion lasts 15 minutes and is limited to 15 units. Well, that's generous, isn't it? Um, through, <laughs> through the Steinberg online shop, bundles will be available on the day of the promotion at 3 p.m. Central Eastern Euro- uh, European Standard Time, I guess. That's a slightly different thing. But VST, man, I mean, that's kind of... When are we going to get some new standards? Dave, have you got any on the, on the go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, loads. Uh, and this time, they're all going to be documented properly from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> no, I remember... Oh God, I remember when the whole VST thing kicked off. I think I was at Mesa. And it was quite a moment. It really was. The Steinberg booth was just like, dude, have you seen what they've got? was quite something. But it's at 15, I suppose it's a sort of belligerent teenager, really. It's not quite sort of reached the age of consent. Rich, I mean, do you think that there's... As 15's kind of... You know, these, these are ancient technologies. It's kind of almost like we're getting kind of prehistoric with the stuff that we... Do, do you think we need an, a clean sweep? And how would it Prehistoric happen? in 15 years, eh? In terms of music well, technology... I remember the conversation I first had uh, in which it was explained to me how this was going to change the way people recorded with computers. And because this was the very first home recording technology that allowed native uh, recording of audio into the same computer you were doing MIDI on without, you know, cards or whatever, a card-based system. And that was huge. And when you say there haven't been standards, we're up to VST either three or four now. I've lost count. Well, that's true. And you've had AU. 5, Apple yeah. immediately scrambled to to come up with something, and they came up with AU. And um, DigiDesign uh, predictably went after their own and developed Artas. And uh, there's in the PC world, there's DirectX, and there's a bunch. Uh, there, a lot of uh, Adobe's got whatever their protocol is, and there's a lot of them. Um, and this was an incredibly ambitious and forward-thinking way of approaching the problem given the current state of the hardware at the time and what it was capable of. And um, I give Charlie Steinberg a huge amount of credit for this, And uh, even though it caused the demise of the TDM platform in Cubase that I had been beta testing for years. <laughs> and, uh, but, but personal issues aside, um, it was a rather historic thing, and it also kind of harkens back to the conversation we had earlier about the propeller head stuff and the closed system nature of it. On some level, the reason it's a closed system is because they haven't sold enough of them to make it worthwhile for other people to start writing for the platform. But if the thing actually grabs hold in any kind of enormous way, people will be writing for it or will try to write for it or try to get, you know, whatever EULAs they need to to be able to write for it. Um, And in the case of VST, obviously, everybody writes for it and everything uh, that is released comes out in a VST compatible format pretty much. So, uh, I think it's uh, noteworthy that this technology uh, kicked off this entire native recording thing and has, in fact, still got a lot of very crucial you know, presence in our lives 15 years later. That's a pretty profound thing for technology. I suppose you're right there. I, was I being... wouldn't be here. Sorry? I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. For VST. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Um, actually, the new VST standard uh, has got some interesting stuff in it, hasn't it? The, uh, the ability to affect separate events from within a pan a pattern 
I think there's some MIDI, some really interesting MIDI stuff that they're doing. So you can actually kind of run plugins or plugins across different sections of audio. I'm trying to remember now. I did get a demo from uh, at Music Meso, and it was really quite interesting and impressive. But I'm not sure. Note how expression it... technology, <laughs> I think, is what you're thinking. I of. think yeah, that's probably is... right. Yeah. This is really cool, but now um, Dave might be able to answer this question. It's my understanding that most of the major developers have stopped releasing uh, releasing their software in anything but VST 2.0 or 2.4. They're not going above that for some technical reason. Dave, do you know? Can you expand on that? I can't. You know no, this? I'm afraid I can't. No, I, I do listen to whinges from people who just go oh no not something else not this and that and the other so i have to be guided by them okay so sorry no i see i see okay so so i could recite a couple of whinges (laughs) (laughs) almost verbatim (laughs) so recently i've i've heard that uh i've read and i i can't i i won't be able to accurately paraphrase this so uh so i'll try anyway um that uh uh, I, I was reading a developer, I can't remember exactly who it was, that was saying that there is some specification in VST 3.0 and above that make it abnormally difficult to code for, and that uh, it's made Steinberg kind of a kind of a lone platform in, in terms of going above that iteration of the product or of, this, of the protocol. So this makes it unlikely that some of the major samplers and things like that will have note expression built into them. However, I hope that situation changes because it's a really cool technology. Mm, it's, I, yeah. I'd like, to, I'd like to see it. I mean, uh, um, uh, opened up, I, definitely. Um, I'm just, there's one thing that really is intriguing me, though, and that's Gaz um, leapt up with a big smile on his face, went out through the curtains, and then came back in with what looked like clutching large bundles of vegetation. In plastic, wrapped in plastic bags. Is this something no. you can expand upon? Oh, sorry, it's so dull. It's just there's just a massive rainstorm, and I just had my sheets on the well. <laughs> You're washing. Ah, okay. <laughs> it looks so much more interesting than that, but it's still it made great. It made great watching. Have you thought of installing a webcam twenty four seven in your house just for such purposes? <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, dear me. Um. What about VST for you? I mean, do you because you you run in Reaper, right? Which can work with AU or VSTIs, so you're not hindered either way. So if there's a if there's one or other format only, you can do it. Do you find that there's a difference between them when you're if you've got two versions of the same plugin? Is there any sort of pluses or minus to using either um, one over the other? To be honest, I'll always use VST just out of habit, really, because um, I was on PC for many many years, um, but. Uh, Sometimes, um, sometimes if if there's any anomaly, I'll with a plugin for whatever reason, I'll just try it in the other version. But other than that, I, I don't really. I mean, I might have missed a little bit of the talk there, but um, Dave told me that like, is it that audio units only send information one way? Um, so, for instance, with the with the uh, the Imposca controller. It's best to use it with VST. Um, oh, so you get bi-directional uh, yeah. MIDI control. Yeah, because yeah, right. you can do yeah. MIDI out from a VST as right. opposed to an AU. I mean, mm. There may be a way with an AU, but it's not a part of their. It's not part of their documented um, standard uh, text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, I tested template way back just to see if um, if they were more efficient in it. Once I went to Mac actually, and I was trying. I think it was Contact Two or to Contact Three. 
uh, and, I, and I was just trying it and watching the kind of uh, the CPU meter to see if there was any difference, and I couldn't sort of actually ascertain if there was any. I mean, I don't know if there is any um, performance gains from any of the formats, but um, I haven't really found any. Um, sorry, it's not a particularly <laughs> interesting answer, really. Um, it would have been nice uh, to have seen one format just sweep the board right across and everybody adopt that and all the documentation just be completely behind that and yeah. it was kind of highlighted to me. I was at NAM, I think, one year, and somebody from Steinberg, who will forever be a friend, uh, was going into a fairly high-level meeting with eMagic at the time. And I saw him go in, and I was like, oh, blimey, sleeping with the enemy. And he just turned around and he said, DXI must not win. Oh, that was the... That was, um... And that was when the eMagic adopted VST, which, of course, oh. then was canned by Apple. And it... And, when the AU thing came out, and this is just me being sort of personally a little bit whingy here, it just, it seemed all very political. And I just always remember that statement, you know, DXI must not win. And it, was, and it just all seemed, it didn't seem for the good of the industry. It just seemed all very political. But there you go. That's just my personal... As is so often the case, though, really, isn't it? I mean, we're kind of... Uh... On every level, <laughs> it always yeah. seems to happen. Yeah. Or can often happen, anyway. So anyway, that was a happy birthday to uh, VST, and it continues to go from strength to strength. I mean, uh, I'm guessing, PJ, that uh, the new VST plugs uh, have, you know, you get access to the stuff from within, because you're a Cubase user, so you get access to all of that. It's just you can't use your third-party stuff um, in the same way, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some some of the nice things about the 3.0 and above spec is they're all surround sound native, and they're all... um, uh, if there's no audio passing through them, they're not using host processing, and it's just kind of more elegant specification. And then I haven't played around much with the Node Expression technology because the only synthesizer that currently uh, utilizes it utilizes it utilizes it. Let me <laughs> articulate that word correctly. Correctly, it's a bit of a five uh, five penny word for this time of the day. Is uh, is Halion. Um, I believe is the only one currently that uses it. So um, I haven't really played around much with it, but what I have uh, used of it, it, it looks like it could be very powerful in the right sampler's hands. Cool. Well, I think on that note, I've just realized the time is half past five. I can't believe it. Time has flown this week, as usual. Um, But thank you very much to everybody for joining us. It's been another bumper chat room. Um, I want to say thank you to all my live guests as well. Uh, If you're wondering what chat room is, uh, I will say again. SonicState.com forward slash live, 4 p.m. UK time. You get a video stream of what's going on, including um, what the videos that we're watching and talking about. And there's also a chat room um, that you can participate in. And uh, we we like to, uh, well, it's it's like uh, having an additional brain on tap, a kind of turbo brain you can tur- turn on. If we ask the chat room something, we'll get a, a response generally within seconds. So thanks to everybody in the chat room once again. And also I want to say thank you to the show sponsors, uh, Yamaha Synth, YamahaDownload.com. Do check out the N8 and N12 mixers. But I will now say goodbye to all my guests. I will start over uh, there. With uh, Mr. Gaz Williams in Bristol, songsurgeon.co.uk. Thank you very much for joining us, Gaz. Um, sounding resplendent with your TC Helicon uh, voice. What's it called? Voice touch. Voice live touch. Voice live touch. Thank you very much. Voice live touch. <laughs> <laughs> 
I tried to resist that all day. You've actually <laughs> done very well. That's the first one I've heard. That's so very, very well done. And then in the middle there with uh, PJ and his classic static icon look, uh, PJ Tracy, PJ Tracy sound. Of course, PJ was here last week uh, in person, stood, sat in that very seat where Dave is now. So I want to say thank you to PJ and thanks for coming over. It was really good fun seeing you. And um, I hope you have a great week and, um, and, and things and your cold gets better. Oh, thank you so much, Nick. I had a blast. It was a great pleasure to be able to do the show live. Ah, I'm always glad to have you. And finally, over there, Rich Hilton from Connecticut with his, uh, his different microphone. Uh, what was that again? Give it a plug. Uh, Mike Tech C7. Mike Tech Tube C7. condenser microphone. Tube condenser microphone. Uh, very well, nice. Thank you very much. It sounds like your, your chest is getting a little better, though. Your throat sounds like it's a bit tired still. Um, yeah, I'm on my way. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad you're getting back. back. It's good. Have you, been, yeah, have you been taking zinc, Rich? I've not been taking zinc. That's the one. I've been taking a lot of stuff, but zinc is... Well, there's probably some zinc in the supplements that I do take, but not mm-hmm. specifically as a, as a remedy towards this sort of thing, no. But thank you for that. That's a good idea. Chew on a couple of galvanized nails. That'd probably do it, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you're not looking very impressed there. Unimpressed. You're staring into, staring into distance. Anyway, I, was Rich, think, I was still thinking about VST. Oh, don't worry. Let it go, let it go. Anyway, Rich, thank you very much. Hiltonius on MySpace and various other places. Have a great week, uh, rest of the week at work. And uh, finally, we've got Dave Spears here from G4Software.com, um, sat uh, in the, the hot chair, the hot seat with the JP6 and the Whirly, yes. which I think is going to stay there. Uh, G4Software.com, of course, you, you can't have escaped that we might have mentioned the, the Impossible yeah. 2. In fact, I've just finished up my review of the Impossible Oscar 2 and the, uh, the, the Touch Digital Controllers uh, controller together. So uh, look out for that on the site sometime soon. So once again, thank you very much. That was Sonic Talk number 226.